Welcome back. Episode 14. Wow. And 12 days. Oh, throw my, throw my clapperboard around. That'll have made a nice sound. I usually put it down nice and gently, but I decided to throw it off this week. Yeah, 12 days into Christmas already, or 12 days into December. Feels like we are flying through. But for those of you tuning back in, welcome back to New Levels Coaching Podcast. We are the endurance podcast that brings the endurance world lots of information, education, and inspiration so you can literally take that away and run with it. This week, I am joined again by NLC Head of Coaching, Jethro McGraw. Afternoon, Lewis. How are you? You good? Yeah, I was going to say it is afternoon, isn't it? <laughs> I was just checking my watch. I am good. I am also, good. Episode 14. Um, 14. Yeah, quite a significant jump now. Three appearances for you so uh, far? Yes, third appearance. Oh, wow. Um, great to be back. It's getting up to almost 25% mm-hmm. ratio, guest ratio. But uh, I, I'm excited to have Jethro in. And the reason for that, a couple of reasons. One, Jethro has been out to Euro cross country this weekend, which mm-hmm. was fantastic. We'll touch on that a lot more as we go. Um, Gemma was also potentially going to be here. Gemma's a little bit under the weather. Uh, so the, the running through Christmas and New Year episode will have to wait. So Jethro has kindly stepped up to the plate and our reflections on Euro cross have come at a very relevant time because for those of you who did tune in, that was on Sunday. But before we kick off, how was Brussels as a trip? Uh, I had a great weekend. A uh, great weekend, headed out with with a couple of the coaches down in uh, down in Birmingham. We headed out, had a really nice weekend. Um, it was brilliant, just soaking up that Sunday atmosphere. Um, it was my first Eurocross. Um, and yeah, it just really impressed. And I think the thing that you agreed with, because when you said you went to Ireland a couple of years ago, is that the day just goes by, by in a flash. Um, it's one awesome race after the other, after the other, and, and especially you know uh, one of the athletes that I work with was out there. So again, it was it was making sure that seeing seeing them before before and after the race, and it just made for a very very busy day. But yeah, got back very tired, but uh, you know full of energy now that Lewis has asked me to come and yeah. Sit on this, sit on this podcast, really. But yeah. Uh, well, firstly, congratulations for having an athlete. I know it's a big, big achievement for a coach mm. to to be named in that GB team as a coach, which is great. And um, Zoe, was it? Yeah, um, extremely proud of um, her first GB vest, and I think it's just awesome to see somebody really have a performance that surpasses all expectations and and make a make a GB team. And um, yeah. You realise how how amazing and special that is, and and what a GB team to make, um, a record breaking GB team, which we'll come on to yeah. a little bit later. Yeah, super exciting times for the GB cross team in particular, and the, and the GB team as a whole. But yeah, well done to Zoe as well, because I know she'll be yeah, she'll well be made up making that team, uh, and to coach uh, and to Matt Long as well, who was a guest last week on our podcast. One of the other coaches at NLC who also had an, an athlete out there, Jess, and just got me thinking. You know, you're out there with Dino, Dean Miller. And uh, we're going to have to pull Dino into the pod one week. I'm sure he'll love that. I love a chat with Dean. Uh, but Dave, our physiologist and coach at uh, New Levels Coaching, was also out there as part of the Birmingham team as well. So he has a big input over at Birmingham. And we definitely need Dave on in the new year for a physiology podcast because I feel like that would be one that our listeners can really tune into. You've, you've held in, held into it now, so um, it'll be on in the new year. Dave, if you're listening, you should be listening. If you are listening, we will have you on in the new year. Uh, we do have a physiology workshop as part of our runner retreats, runner retreats, camps and workshops that we deliver. And in 2024, we've got a physiology workshop coming up, uh, which is going to be held at Birmingham mm-hmm. Uni. So a big mm-hmm. shout out to Birmingham and a big thanks to them for, for helping with that. And it's, it is one of a kind, really, because... We're going to put people through their paces with a step test on the track. So we're going to test them at different paces. We're going to look at their lactate profile, give them a full lactate analysis. But what Jethro and the team at Birmingham are doing very cleverly is they're adding wave light technology into it. So we're actually going to have wave light pacing for our runners, which is super cool. And I believe you're testing that on Thursday. It's it's so unique. Um, You might have seen... For those that are listening, you might have seen a lot of the track races this summer um, that they've got that kind of the wave like technology, which effectively uh, it's like a, a pacemaker for the pacemakers um, where the athletes can just sit on the pace um, and that's guided by the lights. Um, we've got that technology down in Birmingham. So, yeah, it should be awesome. It's, it's really useful for those kind of sessions as well, where the pace is really specific to what you're trying to get out of the session. So, um, yeah. Nice. Uh- that's going to be in the dark as well, isn't it? I'm super jealous. Yeah, 
Yeah. I'm almost tempted to come across and watch them. But <laughs> it's, it's cool when you see it at like Highgate and it gets dark and they have it on and it's, it's and they have it in Diamond Leagues as well. And it's kind of caused a little bit of controversy whether it should be there, whether it shouldn't be there. I'm I'm all for it. I think anything that adds to the entertainment of the sport mm. and, and helps with faster performances, why not? You know, other sports do exactly the same. Golf, they want to hit the golf ball as far as they can do. You know, so why aren't we doing the same in athletics? Well, thankfully, we do have things like Wave Light and hopefully it's here to stay well euro cross country is where we're kicking off this week and if you're tuning in thinking oh i didn't realize it was on you can go back and watch it on catch up it's on on the red button so it's a really good event to watch gb notoriously do pretty well at european cross country and jethro and i were having a conversation in the office earlier this morning uh, and just reflecting on the weekend uh, there was also Tenford, Telford 10K at the weekend as well as many as many other races around the country and around the world were going on And we thought, you know what, let's carry on this conversation in the podcast studio because we think there's a lot that our listeners can take from the European cross country and the elites in general because we we talk a lot, don't we, about what could you learn from the elites. They are the role models. They are the people who set the example. And sometimes I think people look at elites and think, I can't take something away from them because I'm not at their level but there's a lot you can take away from them that they do so well that would benefit our listeners so we'll go on to that in kind of the the second part but let's kick off with what you said is now historically the most successful GB team at a European cross country I believe yeah it was it was super impressive out there what three three individual gold medalists um the team's uh, podium in every event apart from the senior men's and yeah it was it was it was amazing to see i think gb really did dominate on a course that was really tough um proper cross country course if proper if, if cross country if that makes sense but yeah um really tough and and it was it was nice to i like to pride myself in uh positioning myself on a cross country course in the in the in the most strategic position on the course and so we we place ourselves in the on the backfield where the kind of the double hill um you, you could you could see the the athletes taking on that every single lap um and it it was a lap course so um up to four to four to six laps in total and you could really see how much that was taken out of the athletes lap on lap and um yeah interesting so the the viewpoint then that you went for was it visible to the eye that you could see almost when people were breaking and you know could could you almost tell like a lap out oh that's starting to look a bit tough is it biting was it that visible on the course definitely definitely it's amazing just looking at um the gaps that athletes allow to grow or maybe the maybe the gaps that they're putting on the people that they're running with, you, you can see who's feeling good. And, and that might not be over the first lap or two, but you can certainly in those middle laps, you can see who's feeling good. Um, because because especially in those middle laps, there's a, it's a real balance of feeling good and wanting to push on, but also remaining patient, knowing that there's still a heck of a long, long way to go. That's one of the beauties of a cross country compared to a, a, you know, a distanced track or road uh, race is that, You've really got to judge. You've got. You've got no. Although there is a distance, it's actually it's it's the course that you have to judge your effort on, not the duration. Because just because something's five k does not mean it's gonna. Does not mean necessarily you can predict how long that's going to take you. I I love that. I think I'll be honest. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of cross country growing up, even though I did have some success on on the cross. And I think as I've gotten older and more technologies come around and as we were saying i'm a big fan of technology but there's something about cross country now for me that it makes it a level playing field when you can take a lot of that technology out or it becomes less relevant and what i mean by that is things like the carbon shoes don't play as much of a part the watch doesn't play as much of a part as you were saying it's really hard to gauge like splits somebody told me that Matt Stonier in the under 23 race, he, he got a bronze medal, was w- won by Will Barnacourt from uh, from Birmingham Uni. They were running around 540 minute miling, which for some of our listeners, that's going to sound insanely quick. But to put that into perspective, you know, these are guys who'd go and run 10Ks at closer to 430 minute miling. Um, so it it's way down on what you'd expect the pace to be, but you've got to run the course and you've got to run the conditions. And, and that is what I love about cross country in the sense is it's so unique. It's so pure. It's that part of the sport that is still pure where it's just, you've got to judge your effort. You've got to judge the heart and lungs. You've got to judge the legs. So much comes into play. And I think 
that's what made it exciting at the weekend. It was a mud bath, but it just added to it, didn't it? Mm. It's a pure race. And, and I know in previous podcasts we've discussed around like, you know, for certain races, obviously as much specific training needs to be incorporated into a program as possible. But often like you don't you don't quite know the type of, type of course you're going to get at certain cross countries. And actually on Sunday, um, the rain held off until the end of the day. Um, it was due to for forecast to be torrential all day oh. and you could imagine that would have that would have even changed the shape and the results of 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 the day and you know that might have worked for or against gb in in, in those conditions but yeah it is it's super interesting and and although the teams are there on the uh, they get there the day before and walk the course and, and try and understand what what it might look like the reflection from a few of them was that actually after a day of rain on the saturday the course looked very different to how it how it did on the on the saturday morning um and so you're right it probably takes them a full a full lap to really understand what does that what does this course feel like how how can i best judge my effort and you could see those that had yeah you could see those that had judged their effort well and um that's probably a lessons learned that can apply to, to lots of people at home that we might come, come on to a little bit later around trusting your feeling and, and not worrying about the pace. The, the watch really, really doesn't matter. It was it was fascinating to watch even the lines people were trying to pick, mm. you know, trying to pick up the, the better ground, but they were having to go wide for that. And I, and I was watching it and I was thinking, I'm the type of person who that might fall into that category where I'd look for the better ground. But it was quite visible on the TV. And I don't know if it was as visible on course, that they were just costing themselves so much time because they were having to go so wide to get that better ground. And and Paula picked up on it. She said, look, they, they think they're doing better by going and getting a better ground, but actually they're running so wide, it's probably detrimental. The counterbalance of that was, were they saving their legs for later on in the race so that their legs didn't get zapped as much? But it was all this like this balancing act and and people coming up with their own strategy. And, and you've just hit the nail on the head. They're doing that whilst in the race and I think that's one of the big learnings I want to get across to people is you can change strategy in a race you can listen to the body you can look at the conditions what happens if the conditions change drastically within a race you've got to be able to think on your feet absolutely um and for those for those that you know wouldn't be aware so the athletes they wouldn't warm up on the course before the race and so really the only time you know it's, it's only when, when the when the gun goes and they're able to to head out on the course that's the only real time where they're going to fully understand what it feels like to run at pace um around that around that kind of profile that's a really um, good point that a lot of our listeners probably won't be aware of if yeah. they don't warm up on the course because it, it, you can't really nope. it's nope. it's it's hard it's all roped off and those sort of things but it makes you realize in you know applying that to let's say it's not quite the same, but you know, I, how many times have athletes said to you before a 10k or a marathon? Oh, I just, I just want to run something on a on a on a profile that's very similar to the course at pace, just for my own confidence. Um, and you realise, well, and I know it's slightly different, but you know, all the athletes there have never ran on that exact course before the race, and just got to deal with it. It's, it's, it's a level playing field in that regard. Yeah, I totally get it from a confidence point of view, where people want to feel similar to what they're going to feel in a race mm. and, and I and I get it you know we, we've all been there I, I've been there myself and I'm not going to say I've made that mistake because I think some people do get confidence from it but where I draw the, draw the line is well how much of it are we going to replicate you know are we going to replicate the the footwear you're going to go in are we going to re replicate the kit are you going to have the same meal the night before are you going to go to bed at the same time like it's impossible to do all that and, and Alex who's one of our coaches at NLC and was my former coach, but my last coach that I had before I stopped running competitively, uh, he used to say to me, look, it, it just comes down to who who the fittest person is, who's the most well-trained on the day, and, and then who applies the best race strategy. But ultimately, it's not going to be the person who's gone out and ran in the wind if it's a windy day. And I used to love that. Yeah, It's not it's not the person who's trained best in the wind who's going to win when it's windy. Yeah. It's like, and I thought that was a really good way of looking at it. Um. But but linked to that as well. So like I said, I was viewing it at home and it was quite obvious that people were picking their strategy with it within the race. But you mentioned there something we might touch on that people were starting to get that feeling within the race of potentially backing off, maybe saving something in the second half. One thing I noticed was and I sometimes thought this was like a bit of a myth really that you can finish strong on a course like that. I used to look at it and think, well, if you're out the race, you're not you're not getting back because it's so boggy. Mm -hmm. But it looked like people were putting in 
big efforts on the last lap and really making up a lot of ground. And likewise, there were some people who were swimming on that last mm -hmm. lap and really going back over. Was that something that you noticed on the course itself? What were the things you picked up on? Um, I think I think one of the things I picked up on was that there, there was for, for quite a few people it did pay off if you wanted to come in and around that 10 to 15th place um, and that was your kind of target that it paid to kind of back off at the start a little bit and run a much yeah. more conservative race strategy I'm gonna I'm gonna call out um, one of my one of my mentors Luke Gunn uh, so congratulations one of one of his athletes uh, Poppy ran in the senior women's yeah, race yeah Poppy Tank yeah um, and we were just we were discussing last night and I just said like you know huge congrats you, obviously the two of them had got their race strategy right on point um, and she did start really conservatively, I think 44th on lap one. Right. Uh, and finished 12th overall. So Amazing. every lap. And, and that's significant because it's not a big field. So 44th would be a fair way down. Almost the at the back of that women's field. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, it requires patience as well because that kind of strategy, it, just because you go off a little bit smoother at the start and it, you, those athletes don't immediately come back to you, but you got to keep the faith, stick to your plan, and 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 in the end, it, it did really pay off because um, they were able to come through and, and race really well. That's a, that's a fascinating point because one, we we talk a lot about trusting the process, and that is the epitome of it. They mm. trust that process that mm. my coach has got this right. I believe I can still make up this, even though people aren't coming back to me maybe as soon as I thought. There's a long way to go. And, and you do get a bit nervous with that, but you've got to bide your time. But what I find really fascinating about it was when you mentioned if you had a strategy that you wanted to finish maybe inside the top 20, even maybe sneak in the top 10, then this was a really good strategy for you. But what you didn't say was, if you wanted to, to medal or win the race, you can then apply that same strategy. And that's exactly what I took from it. If you wanted to medal or be right up the front, you kind of had to be there. Yeah, I would agree. There, was, there wasn't a huge amount of movement in that in that top 10. Um, probably the senior men's race was the one where there was the most movement. And so one of the, the longest distances on the day. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think I think it's it's really interesting because obviously we 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 went you went, I was at the trial event um, for the GB team two weeks previous, um, and there is just a, it's just a very different environment. Everyone there is looking to make the team, and they're effectively racing each other. You put them in a in that on that in that European context, everyone's got their own aims and expectations, and with a with a deeper field, um, a different course, it really shows you know who's who's been strategic, where's pe where people's strengths are, and and yeah, I think I, I got a really good sense of what it takes to what it takes to win somewhere like that, but also what it takes to come top ten, top fifteen, top twenty five, and and you know in future with with an athlete there, you you might be able to best advise them as to what result they want to get out of it. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not going to pick out any specific bad examples of that, but you can watch the Eurocross and you can see them for yourself mm -hmm. where people potentially go out a bit too hard and then and then pay the price. And again, you know, been there, done that and, and paid the price. Mm -hmm. So I know it's a strategy that I personally wouldn't employ and some people get away with it. They go mm -hmm. off and they're brave and they, they stick with it. And maybe that's their mentality. If I'm, if I'm going to medal, I need to get up there and I'm going to give myself every shot to do that. And some races it works, right? And that's what yeah. we're trying to say. Some some races that, that is really important and that, has, that is applicable and, you know, but it's the danger is being applying that uniformly. You know? Yeah, I 100% I, I agree. So... With that, there was cross countries again back at home. It was it was my county cross country which I've mm -hmm. done, and, and actually mm -hmm. you can you can hold me accountable to this one, Jethro, and our listeners can as well. I do want to do a cross country, but wow. by the time the year is not the year is out, the racing year is out. So the cross country calendar usually ends around March time. Uh, I'd really like to to do one, so I'm gonna national cross. Oh, when's that? That's a good That's point. What, end of end of end of Feb. Yeah, do we know where it is this year? Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury. Okay, so not too far either. Oh, well, I might have to see if we've got any workshops in the calendar to get myself out of that one. For people that are interested, um, anybody with a with a uh, affiliated with the EA can enter that event. Um, we have our run club, which yep. if you are affiliated Good with us, plug you, rebels, you can uh, you can you can enter that national cross event. But that's amazing. Um, this sort of the the flagship uh, biggest race and the senior men's attracts a field of around 1,400, 1,500 runners of 
all abilities every year um, and yeah is a real real spectacle I might throw my hat in for that I'll have a look um, but yeah Jethro's right if you want to run National Cross or you know your, your Northern your Southern your Midland Cross if you're affiliated to a club then you can enter those through the club which is which is great if you're not a member of a club you can always check out the new levels run club we're a virtual run club we're an online run club we have two levels of subscription. We have a, a, a first claim members where you would be first claim for new levels, which is great. We'd love you to, to be part of that. But if you're already a member of a running club and you want to join another one, then you can join a second claim. And there's loads of benefits from being in our community. You know, we get lots of partners discounts. You get a free vest thrown in there. You get a run through place thrown in there too. But you you do become part of this this team, and a lot of people who do run individually sometimes don't know about that. So I'm really glad that that you brought that up. Um, National Cross, yeah, we had the, the the first stage of that almost. Then, so let's backtrack. So Nationals mm-hmm. like the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. You've got the Northerns, the the Southerns, the Midlands, and then right back you've got the new counties. Mm-hmm. And and my county is quite unique, whereby we have our county champs prior to Christmas, which is is quite unique. There's there's some others uh, this weekend. I've got an athlete racing theirs before. Christmas. Christmas as well but most of them fall January 6th January 7th I believe this year and then you go from that and and you progress through the stages but the point I'm getting to here is that you can get into these cross countries at any level Mm. and they all have similarities to what we saw at the weekend because I looked at the northeastern cross and my god you thought Brussels was bad you should have seen this one (laughs) seen some photos actually did you yeah yeah and so I wanted to kind of touch on that. So what what did we learn from the weekend and what do we know about cross country that our listeners can take from it? And some people will be sat there going, well, I've never done a cross country. I don't really know where to start. So I'm going to put something in the hat to, to, to kick us off. Footwear. Mm. What? What, what were people wearing at the weekend that our listeners maybe are familiar with or aren't familiar with in terms of footwear on their feet? So, yeah, every, everyone on the weekend was wearing spikes. Um, back at you though. I think I think with with the advancements of a lot of the trail running shoes, a lot of the the rock claws, the mud claws, like the the the, the studs, um, you'd find in a lot of kind of more regional, local, county competitions that people are more than able to compete. Um, my partner actually, um, she races in she races in um, in, in trail shoes um, because they, they work best for her. So yeah, there is a real mix. I think the headline is though. You need some grip. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Grippy shoes. But you won't believe this, Jethro. So James, who I coach, James Tilly, who's gone yeah. to the trails recently, he is going to do some cross-country after Christmas. Okay. And um, he said, yeah, I've got some spikes. I'm just going to wear my, my dragonflies, which most people do these days. Uh, they seem to just think, well, I'll just run in them. And he said, uh, yeah, I don't need any of the spikes in the bottom, do they? They've got spikes in the bottom. And I said... Yeah, you, you're probably going to need longer ones, James. He goes, oh, do, do they do longer ones? And it kind of was quite refreshing that, you know, he's still relatively new to the sport. Mm. But it got me thinking, like, a lot of people don't know about the spikes and the different size spikes and also, like, the trail shoe option. Mm-hmm. So, to, to what, uh, I think 15 mil are the largest. 15, yeah. They are the largest. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're quite sizable and can do some damage um, without wanting to sidetrack too much. One of the athletes that I worked with in a previous race she fell at the start and and got stamped on and that was quite a nasty oh, cut cut um but anyway yes yeah, so cross country tends to be people race between 12 in 12 to 15 millimeter spikes and on the track it tends to be around six mil yeah um, i think if any i think some tracks actually wouldn't, wouldn't allow any longer than that anyway and, and there's not really a lot of benefit um so yeah but you can you can obviously take the physical spikes off out of the bottom of your shoe replace them um and so you can you can you know you can use spikes on both the the track and the cross just with with different the physical shoe with just with a different size spikes in in the plate at the bottom but what we're saying about all these things is is grip those those Mm. spikes the length of them depending on how bad the course is the worse the course the the longer the spike is general rule of thumb you're trying to get grip spikes are a bit lighter than trail shoes some people prefer them to be lighter but as you said your partner quite rightly goes with a shoe that's more comfortable for her Mm. which is a trail shoe and trail running shoes have advanced so much now that we're in a good position where you can wear them. I know Kirsty does exactly the same, Coach Kirsty, who has been running a lot of cross, cross this year as well. So if you're thinking about cross country, footwear is something that you might want to think about. And, and your choice of footwear, make sure you have good grip on that. Um, I think 
it's just fun as well. It's just good. It just mixes it up. It's a hard effort. It's nice to change it up. It's a bit of softer ground as well. So it adds that element to it. Um, and also something you touched on already, again, going back to Eurocross this weekend, the team element. Often if you're running for a club, it's not that you're just running as an individual. You can often contribute towards a team and sometimes that team scoring points and that goes towards league points as well. So the weekend... Um, how many people are there, you know, thinking, right, I'm here as an individual, of course they are. But what have they got to think about if they're going, well, actually, this could affect the team score as well? Absolutely. And I think I think that's that's the other element of cross country where um, it's it, it is around resilience and toughness. And and I think a, a nice way to think about it is sometimes sometimes in a 10K, the first or a, a road race, the first portion of the race can feel quite smooth. You know, you can feel pretty good. I'd say with cross country, it, it, it never does. It often feels ha- it feels hard right from the start. And so exactly. having, having that team element where you're not just there for yourself, but you're there for a greater cause really does help. And it, it helps you to kind of grit or grind out those couple of tough Ks, miles, minutes in the middle of the race where you do need that extra bit of um, of emphasis. But yeah, you, you could see the guys that were running on at the weekend um, strategically for the team as well. Uh, the Belgians won the senior men's race, um, which is awesome. Home turf and they got the biggest cheer of the day, quite rightly. It was a great event they put on and it was amazing that the last race of the day that they clinched that team title. But they ran as a they ran as a pack. There was three, four of them that for the first two laps they were all running together, and you could see that they obviously had a strategy that they just needed to put as many of them in the top ten as possible, and that was going to be their strategy. One of them actually pushed on and eventually got the bronze medal, yeah. but he he ran with that team, and you could see that that was that was a thing that they were most definitely running for. I think if it had just been him as an individual, I reckon he might have ran slightly differently. Um, and yeah. Um, that's that's the beauty of the of the kind of team element, I suppose. That's a really nice point as well, because I think everyone can relate to running a team and running together. And like you're saying, you can even have team strategy. So you can be there as an individual, but you might have mm-hmm. a team strategy as well. Mm-hmm. I remember my good friend Ryan McLeod, who's training partner with at the time. He said there was a point at the Eurocross where him and Tom Lancashire were running together on the GB team, and they were sat in around about twelve thirteenth. I can't remember exactly where it was, and Tom had kind of calculated that they needed to get past the two guys in front. I believe it was that the French guys in front of them who were sat in like 10th and 11th. And Tom just got to Ryan and said, look, if, if we get those two guys, we're going to win gold. And they ran together to try and get past the French guys to win that gold medal. And I think it's a really good example of when you're in it for more than just yourself, but you you want that gold as well, but you want the team to benefit from it. And this can happen at any level. This is the beauty of it. And this is why I like uh, those those team events. And I think this is what cross country gives us uh, as opposed to like going and doing a marathon or something like that, whereby you can be part of something bigger, whether that's just a social occasion, getting together, or whether it's actually competing for county medals as a team that you might contribute towards or it might be something like a national medal like you say because a national medal for a lot of our club athletes as a team is huge isn't it but it's that team element that really brings people together absolutely and and i'm sure those slightly different um i know that you know valencia was an amazing experience for new levels as a as a as a community um and i'm sure that there was a lot of individuals that really rose to that kind of camaraderie out there and 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 that helped with their own individual performances to, to go out there represent and and be part of something and i think you're spot on i think when you feel like you're part of something part of a community part of a club and they're on the sidelines cheering you on it makes a big difference and i noticed that i mean the support looked incredible by mm. the way that especially that men's race at the end where belgium were coming through and coming through strong um, was the noise electric by that point yeah noise was noise was massive um so yeah um a, a, especially in that last race it was a frantic last lap but they knew it was on they knew it was on people feeding off that as well which i think yeah. is important and but again linking that to to, to learnings you know not getting carried away with that is important. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned about the Belgians packing well. There's a big lesson there for our our listeners. You know, it's easy to get carried away with whatever race you're in, particularly those big races, big marathons, big uh, Ironmans, those those real big occasions, trail races where there's loads of people there at the start. They go mental, all the cowbells are ringing. You're getting really excited and you get carried away and you get dragged into a pace that you shouldn't be going. He's a really nice, nice example, actually, of the Belgian guys who could have easily got carried away in front of a home crowd 
but had a strategy. They had the sense to stick to that strategy and it, and it paid off, didn't it? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, I think, I think it's, it's been, it's been nice reflecting actually, you know, a couple of days after the event, just thinking about, you know, what we saw out there, but, um, yeah, I, I imagine it was the same. I imagine the same in Ireland. I know when when you went a couple of years ago again, um, really the crowd really getting behind the the Irish team, and uh, yeah, you can see that in, right across all sorts of cross country events that that it really is powerful. Yeah, Ireland is is one of my best places to go for. They love their running in Ireland. They really do. It's it, I know rugby is like their national sport, but they get behind certain sports like boxing's big in Ireland and, and running is big mm. in Ireland. I remember the the senior women's team uh, that Ava Hutchinson was part of, Ava Haynes now, who's married to Alex Haynes, uh, who I mentioned earlier. She was part of the Irish women's team that won the Euro Cross and they won team of the year at Irish Sports Personality of the Year. Oh, so wow. they were selected as the team of the year, which shows how much the nation get behind Status. their athletes. Fanula McCormick had a ridiculously good run. For me, that was run of the weekend. She ran 226 in Valencia just last weekend. Uh, and then the following weekend goes and finishes fourth at the <laughs> European Cross Country Champs, which is incredible. Um which leads me on to my next point, which you've already mentioned, running to feel and knowing your body and understanding your body. He's a really good example of, um, let's let's just put it bluntly, one of the older athletes in the field, if not potentially the oldest athlete in that women's field. So she's she's been around a long time. She's got experience, but obviously age isn't on her side in terms of recovery. She runs a marathon the week before. She then goes to Eurocross, which some people would say, well, that's bananas. And she runs fantastically well. There's got to be a lot of running to feel there and understanding it. I didn't see her strategy from the TV. I hadn't quite figured it out, and I'm not sure of that. I, I was kind of looking for her, to be honest. You said that you'd picked her out quite early, and she did quite clearly go off in, in, in control, and she wasn't featuring. So was that a feel-based move, do you think, from Fanula? I mean, I wouldn't like to say, but I suspect, I suspect it looked like it was, I'll get out there, I'll see how I feel. And if I feel good, then I can push on. And it, it did look like she was feeling good. Um, I, I wouldn't wouldn't like to guess what what a routine between Valencia and Eurocross was, but it just goes to show as well how important that feeling is. Um, and you know how many how many times is it do we feel kind of overwhelmed when there's a when there's a certain session or race that you've got to do, and you you kind of say, well, how fast do I have to run? What what does that mean? What what time? And you know you wouldn't be able to you won't be able to guess what that what that first mile might look like. Um, on on Sunday, so yeah, very different to Valencia, where I'm sure there was much more of a specific um, paced ra racing strategy. Um, whereas Sunday was a bit more, well, yeah, entirely opposite. Um, but obviously had a huge amount of success in both. And just goes to show, if you fit, you fit. You fit, you fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Let's, let's dissect that a little bit. And I hope you don't mind me asking this around kind of strategy with with your athletes mm -hmm. for for cross country, um, because I'll delve into a little bit of Valencia. There was there are specific pacing strategies for the marathon, and that does usually involve splits for the majority of people. Sometimes it doesn't it doesn't always have to, but there is a, a conversation we had beforehand of a certainly a pace range that you're looking to go, and that's often based on the goal target time mm -hmm. and looking at breaking down the splits. For me, I like to work in 5K sections. You know, what, what are our 5K splits going to look like? The watch is obviously there to help, and then you can measure that on the course as well. Cross country is very different. Mm -hmm. um, splits don't even really come into it. In fact, you, you see from the athletes, not many of them do even wear their watch in, in cross country because it's, it's totally irrelevant. They're not really looking at that. And I think that's a big thing that I want to get across to our listeners maybe who do wear their watch in cross country and are looking at pace. It's probably something that you're going to have to get away from because mm -hmm. it's really hard to, to compare your pace on the roads to, to cross country. Um, but they're probably sat there thinking, well, how do I come up with the strategy? Like, what sort of things do I need to be thinking about? Like, what sort of conversations were you having with the athletes you coach, if, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, um, absolutely not. I th well, I think, first of all, you've got to understand what your strengths are as an athlete. You know, and I think that that's, and they're the same, they're the same across all distances and race types. And you've got to, when, when, you, when you first see a cross-country course, you've got to understand, right, well, which bits play, which bits are a positive and which bits play into my strengths and which bits are, are, are potentially things that aren't necessarily my strength and I would hazard a guess there's not many people that would 
rock up at a cross-country course and say every single meter is exactly me that's yeah. perfect for me it's a good Every, point everyone, that's a really good got point their own little sections where they're like you know i could probably really come into my own or i could recover really well in this section um now the race on sunday was laps so i suppose you could use laps as a marker um but actually i, I think i i don't particularly like that because i think those laps are not going to be run evenly mm. and so it's not an even distribution of time spent and so it's i think it's i prefer to break break the, the race down for the athlete into sections sections that make sense sections that you know you know the start might may contain just literally be the first half mile and then the middle section might be the next two miles but they're sections that the athlete understands they understand how they should be feeling through that kind of phase mm. um and also, you know, um, for example, if you know that an athlete has a really strong finish, no matter how tough it is, then you can almost create two finish lines, one with 600 meters to go and one, well, you know, do your thing and, and finish really strongly. Um, so it really does vary. It's it's absolutely athlete specific um, and probably more so than or as much as the, the track and, and, and the road running in that, you know, that that plan could be very different based on the course, um, even if it's a, the exact same athlete with the, with the exact same strengths. I'm sure if me and you raced, we'd have very different perspectives on on the same course, um, and that yeah, it just goes just goes to show that you know that the outcome the outcome could be similar, could be very different, but the way that you achieve it is 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 entirely individualized. A couple of interesting points there, really interesting, uh, and one one big learning from me often. I probably fall into the trap of even as a coach of saying, oh, that course isn't really suited to them. But actually, you're right. It might be that as, as a whole, the course isn't suited to them, but there's going to be certain sections that are. So so how can you dissect that further and have a look at how you can use those sections to help help you? Definitely. Um, the other thing that I really liked about that was like breaking it down into parts. And, and the one bit I wanted to touch on was the two two finishes. So what you were saying there was, like the athlete's going to finish strong regardless and we're talking over like the last 100, 150 metres. So you were almost saying, right, well, we're going to extend that. We're going to look at a second finish, which is like 600 metres out, maybe 800 metres out, where actually you go a little bit earlier because we know you're going to finish anyway. So can you put it in a little bit further from the finish? Is that, is that what you're alluding to there? I think so. I mean, it's great having a strong finish, but if you're... If you're not next to anybody in a in a in a race that's all about the race, it's yeah. not about the time. Then actually, that's not a really very well placed sprint finish, you know. And so, you, you, it's about putting yourself in a position to really make the most of where your strengths are. Um, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of people with mountain running, fell racing backgrounds racing on Sunday as well, and I'm sure that they had race plans and strategies that made that that meant that they were really focusing on using their you know ability on the uphill or the really steep downhills to maybe just get an extra second or two mm -hmm. just put an extra meter into somebody else that's then they've got to cover that move and just generally that you you know that your competitors are responding rather than rather than being they're being reactive rather than active in, in, in what they're doing and just those like little subtle things lap on lap are the, are the things that eventually sap your rivals and 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 that's the best way for you to you know uh, make them make the most of, of of what you need to do tom or chris chris thompson who coached me at some point in my career he used to describe that that finish that you're describing as spreading your butter evenly across across the toast he, he used to say look you got you, you got your toast and the aim is to spread that butter nicely evenly across the toast he said what you don't want to do is put too much butter on one end and then have nothing left at the end or have nothing on the first bit and have it all left at the end. And I thought it was a really good analogy that I, I used to resonate with me. And I, I used to fall into the trap of having too much butter at the end, like having everything left, but like you alluded to there, almost nobody to catch. Yep. So he was saying, well, let's set it up a little bit. Let's give yourself the chance. And and what I really liked about that strategy and if, if people are thinking about maybe trying it themselves was he, he made it, um, he was very honest with me when he said, look, I don't care if you fall apart. Look, I, I, I want to find your limit. I don't want you to finish fast in this race. It almost took the pressure off me. If you're finishing like a train, that we've not got it right. Yep. And, and what it meant was I really kind of went for it. Mm -hmm. And I still did finish fast, but just not as fast as what I, I maybe had done before. But he was saying, we just want to find that tipping point. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the, the way he kind of described that. Something else you said there, which is... Um, a point I wanted to go on about different people's strengths and specialities. You touched on the fell, you know, mountain mm -hmm. runners. Mm -hmm. 
So last year at Eurocross, if you remember rightly, it was in Italy, I believe, and they had this crazy course where they ran through like a museum and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But as you came out of that museum, there was a really steep downhill and it was quite obvious who the kind of good downhill runners were. They made up good ground in that section. And I remember watching the commentary and I'm pretty certain it was a French athlete again where this French athlete had specifically targeted the Eurocross because they come from like that mountain background. And I think that's a really nice point to make here. And and again, the beauty of cross country is if you're clever, Mm -hmm. you can actually look at races. Like there are certain races that you say where you can break down even further into sections, but there are certain races that are going to suit you. And you can almost pick your little winners and, and pick your goals right back to your episode we did right at the start. Yep. Have a look at those big A goals and see where they are. And use and use your C goals, like you said with Tomo, just to experiment a little bit and, and see what you've got. And that might be a different distance or a different type of course. And maybe there's like a strength that you didn't know you had, but you needed to go and run a race that tried something different in order to discover that that is actually a strength. Um yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point, like using those other races, like we spoke about those seagulls, to, to try things or figure things out where you might not think it's a trend, but how would you know if you don't try it? It could could well be. Yeah, and, and there's loads of opportunities for that. That's where it's quite nice where you can use cross-country if you've never done it before. How would you know you if, if you're not good at it? You've, you might have never done it before. Um, but you can mix your season up as well. Some people like to do that. I know um, Tyler, one of the, the guys you coach, and Joe, they recently ran like the short course at, at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I think they raced even earlier than that at Cardiff as well. Mm-hmm. And then i seen them on the road over 10K at Telford at the weekend, mm-hmm. showing how they're mixing their season up. And I assume they might even go indoors in the new year will they maybe experiment yeah. with the, the to indoors confirmed, to be confirmed next 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 two weeks but yeah they'll probably go indoors but, but yeah you're right it, you can uh like i said earlier if you're fit you're fit but you know as, as long as that as long as there's a plan in place of a broad structure of where you want to go and the type of things that you want to be doing um and you do enough specificity for that equates to the big goals that you've got then actually you can you can navigate things and that that is that that is the beauty, and I think it is that is where it's useful to have like a, a companion coming on that journey with you. I'm speaking to uh, somebody even just this morning who got, like I say, got goals, everything from five k to ultras, and it's about okay, that's fine. Both those are possible, and all those goals are possible. But what what makes sense, and how can we get mm. you there in, in in a path that keeps you healthy, keeps your progression in the sport logical, and um, yeah, cross country is quite a can be quite a flexible part of that because of its variety and profile, um, race quality, race distance, time of the year as well, to be fair. A race, in, a race in October where the ground's still pretty firm is a bit different to a national cross in February where it's guaranteed to be pretty muddy. It's a really good point about the time of year because I met with a good friend of mine yesterday who's, who's coached by Kirsty at New Levels mm. and um, he's he specialises in triathlon now, but I, I used to coach him running-wise and... We, we talked about that time of year around like there's not many triathlete, triathlons around now, of course. So there might be triathletes out there who are looking at, well, where can I race? And and that's where things like cross country or road racing come, come into it. But ultimately, you kind of beat me to the, the long term plan thing around we should never deviate too far away from our long term plan and where our air goals sit. And you should always have that in the kind of the, the back of the mind, even though these races might be coming very much at the forefront. Because I think it's easy now, and and Matt mentioned this on a podcast uh, a while ago, that we can get drawn into kind of every race under the sun, especially with clubs. And that's, you know, that's not saying clubs are a bad thing at all. I'm a massive fan of the club scene in, in the UK in particular. But I do think the danger is one week there's a road race, the next week there's a cross country, then there's a midweek 5k, and all of a sudden you're you're racing every week and you're not you're not training, uh, and I think that is the danger where we've got this full calendar. So I think it's a really good point you make around yeah planning those goals in. But on on the flip side, um, it's okay to have four weeks where you say actually I'm just going to do a lot of racing. Um, yeah, it does, doesn't really mean a lot, but just be honest about what that is. You know, as long as that's that's an active decision rather than a passive, oh, I'll just go for another one and do this and do that. Like um, one of the athletes that I'm working with has just said, look, before I start my marathon block, I just want to just want to play around and just do do a load of things, enjoy my running and do loads of easy running in between. But that's fine. Um, and that we know that, that that's factored in. And yeah, he'll, he'll be a lot more specific once that marathon block starts. But 
yeah, for the time being, go and have some fun, do some cross countries and, and see what happens. I'm sure I've used this quote before, but I'm going to use it again because I love it so much. But it comes back to that point of like, if you're taking action without any goals, then you're literally just, um, you're living like an, a nightmare. But if you've got goals mm. and you're not taking action, then you're just dreaming. Like, so the the goal without the action, it's just a dream. You're not actually taking action towards it. But if you're taking action without a goal, that leads to a nightmare situation because it's not purposeful. You're just doing things for the sake of doing it. And I always relate it to like, you wouldn't get in your car and not know where you're going and just start driving around. Why would you do that? There's, there's an end goal there. And I think that's the trap people fall into when you said about racing. There's nothing wrong with going through a spell of racing if it's purposeful practice, if it's in there, you know, why you're doing it, what the intention of those races are, whether they're training, whether they're actual races, I think they're actually... Or fun. Or fun, yeah. yeah, yeah, just having a bit of social fun. Um, but I think there's the temptation to, to overdo that, um, but there's the temptation of going back to what you said on the first ever podcast we did together, whereby you think you should be performing at your best every single week, and that just isn't possible. Mm-hmm. I like that summary. I've not, I've not heard that one before. Have so, you not? No, that's good. It's yeah, good. it's, it's, good. it's no, like nothing to add from me. That was that was that was concisely put. So it's like a I don't know if it's like a proverb or something that I've heard before, but someone said it to me and it just resonated with me straight away. It's like yeah, it's all right. People saying they've got goals, but are they actually taking action towards it? And but then vice versa, we see it so many times where people are just doing things and they're just caught in this circle of oh, well, I don't really know where I'm going. Um, and that's often when we see plateaus in performance with with people. And I, I'd say that's one thing that that coaching provides often is um, sometimes I'm going to let you into a little secret here, people. Sometimes the coaching itself is is not rocket science. Um, it's it's quite simple. It's quite basic. But some of the tweaks we make as coaches when we work with people comes outside of the training where it's actually let's have a look at those goals and, and where they sit. What are you actually aiming for? And you, and you look at it and you go, well, actually, you're not aiming towards anything. Uh, and if we go full circle here and we go right back to where we started around what can we learn from the elites in this sport is that there were people there at the weekend who were aiming for the medals and, and good positions and this will have been a big target for them. Mm-hmm. It will have been put in the calendar early. They will have known they were aiming for it. Their training will have been specific for it. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is one of the biggest learnings we can take. But let people into a bit of a, or give them a bit of an insight into now, Jeff. Well, what might they now do after that? So what might their training look like now for a, a period of time? Or what might they be thinking now? Ooh, oh, good, good question. Good question. I, well, I think, well, I think the... Pro- Majority will probably have a pretty easy week this week. Yeah. <laughs> so rest and recovery again. Um, there's a there's a great podcast in terms of just making sure that you're rejuvenating. Well, that was with Matt, right? It was. It was. Of course, it was Matt. And again, it's like that that word of rest and recovery. It scares people. Like yeah. you're going to ask me to rest. Yeah. Just yeah. Go and do nothing for a week and and and, and come back refreshed. But it also gives them space to, to come back and reflect on. Yeah. Um. Not just not just the outcome, but the process to get there and. You know, has has every day been purposeful and green, or has there been days where it's you know things have been orange or red, and you know um, not not quite on track? So yeah, so a period of rest and recovery, um, reflection, um, and then you'd you'd assume that everyone that the, the targets to make Eurocross is the end point of a block for most people, and they'd be going into a next block, potentially probably a rebuilding a rebuilding phase, um, and then probably into something a bit more specific in the spring, whether that's on the road, cross country, indoors. Um, and that's the that's the beauty of the Eurocross is in the way it sits in the calendar, you do get a complete mix of individuals that are either aiming for it and it's very much on their agenda that they are likely going to make the team and then likely be up there in the top ten medals. You've got others that are saying aspirationally, I just want to get as fit as possible, and you never know, I might make a team and yeah. then make the most of the opportunity while I'm out there. Um, and then for others, it's just building blocks as to oh, it's it's fantastic to make a team to be up there on the um, at the highest level uh, in European athletics, and, and and just learn something from that, um, and then refocus for whatever next or future goals are are in the sport across twenty twenty four and beyond. It's a really nice point to wrap on wrap up on, I believe. Wrap up ready for for Christmas. Um, what I really like about that is that you're saying, look whatever your aim was, you know, whether it was to, to medal, whether it was just to, to be fit and, and hopefully make a team, there can be, excuse me, <coughs> just coughing, uh, 
you can have your own individual aims, but people are all at the same event trying to get out of it what they want to get out of it. But what they haven't fallen into the trap of, they haven't gone away from that aim that they set at the start of the year. And maybe they then reflect on it and that helps them as we go into 2024. I love it. I'm having a bit of a coughing fit here. I don't know if I'm getting emotional or wrapping things up for the year. (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me. So apologies for the coughing fit, but I thought it was a really nice place to to wrap up. So thanks for making that that point, Jethro. And I just wanted to share, going into 2024 then, maybe it's a time for you to now reflect on on 2023. Uh, Are you at a point where you've hit the end of that block? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not the end of the block. Maybe you're right in the middle of that block. But I always do think the end of year provides with an opportunity to just have a look at things, maybe chat to your coach if you've got a coach or... If you haven't, maybe write some things down. We always encourage our athletes to do that. Have a look at what you've learned. We did a really good podcast on on our learnings as as coaches. That will help shape things for for the future year, but also start to have a look at at where those goals might fit in 2024 and make sure that you're taking purposeful action towards those goals. Because if you're not, then remember that that little saying that the goals are just dreams. You're not actually aiming towards them. They're just going to be sat there in your your mind. Yeah, and... and, and goals for action right through the year not just january yes <laughs> yes it's a good point yeah you'll get your gym memberships reduced and you know we'll we'll have all those new year's resolutions coming into play and people will be getting fit in jan and then by february the gyms will be empty and i will love it again because things yeah, will quiet and down and it'll be back to normal but yeah i think just one thing we will leave you with that is you know habits are formed by taking purposeful action for for the right reasons if you go into january just thinking oh i'm just going to do it because it's january that won't be a big enough motivation to get you through however if you enter something in maybe april or may time something like a marathon then you know starting now before january january will just be part of the process so you'll have that goal to aim for and you'll have that purposeful practice that gives you that accountability towards that big goal that you know is coming in the springtime. So if you're thinking about getting fit in January, my advice would be don't just wait for January. Why January? You know, start now or start to think about it now, but also give yourself a goal to aim aim for that will keep you accountable. I think we can wrap it up there. Yeah, happy with that. So we've got, yeah, thank you. No, I really enjoyed that. I wanted to bring that conversation out of the office. We have some really good conversations in the office. And uh, I sometimes say to the team, I wish wish we could have recorded that. So today I did, did put Jethro on the spot a little bit. And I'm very, very thankful that he's taken me up on the offer. It's been fine. Yeah, it's, it's been great. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I love I love chatting about these sort of things. And I think it's a really good way to give our audience an insight into not just our coaching brains, but the elite side of the sport where, yeah, they maybe watch it on TV, but we actually do reflect on it and, and shows what we learn from it as well. And hopefully it's provided people at home with, with something, uh, something to learn from as well. So as always, we hope we see you out there racing and, and training. Best of luck with races if you've got them coming up the festive period. We're going to wrap this new year up. Oh, sorry, going to wrap the year up before the new year with um, some running tips and hints through Christmas and New Year and hopefully Gemma and I will be back next week to provide that and we may take a little bit of a break from the podcast over the festive period but if we do we'll have some snapshots of the best that we've had to offer in 2023 as we plan ahead for 2024. So yeah as always keep running, stay healthy, stay fit and we will see you all very very soon. Thanks everyone.